I'm so glad to be here to share with you God's Word, especially in this inaugural time that we could finally take out our mask and I can see all of you and your expressions. But I'm so sorry, I also don't recognize quite a number of you because for two years, we have seen each other's eyes and not the complete facial expression. But before I give you the Lord's Word, allow me to pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you will grant me clarity, boldness, and the filling of your Spirit to preach your word powerfully and to impact the lives of your people that they may know your will and walk worthily and pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Allow me to read Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 14. I deliberately uh, left it out in the responsive reading and Bible reading because I wanted to read it to you. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain, from domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the Lord's Word. My message for this morning has one main point. And the main point is, brothers and sisters, we ought to pray for one another because we are in Christ and He is working in our lives. Brothers and sisters, we ought to pray for one another because we are in Christ and He is working in our lives. The passage that we have today from Colossians verse, chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, 4 14, has three things to teach us about prayer. Why pray for one another, how to pray with thanksgiving, and what to pray for others, and implied for ourselves. Let me share a quote from Samuel Chadwick, a Methodist pastor in the late 1800s, and I quote, The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toils. He mocks at our wisdom. But he trembles when we pray. I think the quote highlights something important to us about prayer. Not only how powerful it is, but it is necessary for all believers and for the church. Do you realize that as a Christian, that you and I can do all things without praying? What I mean is that you can preach like I am doing right now, or teach, or serve, or give, or comfort, counsel without praying. So why pray? Because prayer is the linchpin that connects us to a living relationship with our Heavenly Father. And this relationship is marked when we pray, marked by complete trust, 
absolute dependence and true faith. But this also means that without prayer, there is no relationship. And everything that we do will be about us, our efforts, and maybe our glory. And so I believe it is timely and vital that we are committing the whole month of September to learn about prayer as a church under the current climate as we are in. Now, there are a number of ways in which we can learn how to pray. Listening to someone who is more mature, knowledgeable than you are in the Christian faith and learning and following his example. When I was a young Christian, I remember learning from an older and more mature Christian. And one of the painful but necessary lessons that he taught me was not to punctuate every sentence or gap of my prayer with the phrase, Oh Lord. So it sounds like this, okay? Oh Lord, thank you for your love, Oh Lord. Oh Lord, please give us strength this day, Oh Lord, for we need it. Oh Lord, please bless us so that we can do the work that you have given us today, Oh Lord. Oh Lord, and now we commit the rest of the day into your hands, Oh Lord, and pray that it will be, a, that will be pleasing to you, Oh Lord. Oh Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay? And it was quite embarrassing and humiliating because after that, he corrected me in front of a group of other Christians that he has asked me to pray for. And I can be sure of you that uh, I was cured of it. I was so nervous that I didn't realize I was punctuating with the word, Oh Lord. So it is good. You can learn from another person, another person who will guide you. So it is a good start, but it won't be enough, especially when life becomes complicated. When life is filled with difficulties, pain, and suffering, how often do you hear and learn from someone who is praying in tears, in pain, in struggle, and maybe a sense of disappointment with God? Rather, we often hear from one another the good stuff and not the deeply personal part of the person's life. That is why we ought to focus more attention to learn prayers from scriptures. Thankfully, not only do we have good and godly examples from both men and women throughout the Bible, but we have the Psalms that to show us that praying with is also involves the emotions. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be raw with the Lord. Moreover, the prayers taught by the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles, like Paul, teaches us what we ought to pray for and the confidence we can have when we pray to God. They are always teaching us about something about prayer that you and I do not know and realize how important it is. When I was studying in the US, I became acutely aware about something about prayer that I had not realized before. When I was preparing for my to finish my papers and taking my exam, I always ask my wife to pray just a little bit more for me. As a typical Singaporean and a byproduct of our education system, I wanted to do well and felt a little bit nervous if I didn't. Then one day, one day, it was during winter, it occurred to me that if my wife and my children were not praying for me, then no one is praying for me in the whole world of 7 billion people. I never felt so alone, so sad, so pitiful. 
Of course, I knew that my family in Singapore and close Christian friends in Singapore were regularly praying for me. At least that's what they tell me, you know? <laughs> but God knows, right? Okay. But no one knew except my wife about the immediate context or need of what she should be praying for me and how her timeliness in her prayer brought much comfort and encouragement to me. It was then that I realized how important it is for us as God's people, as His family, to be praying for one another, not just for ourselves. I think this quote from Michael Barn, the previously an Anglican Bishop of the Church of England, sums up well. Do not let us fail one another in interests, care, and practical help, but supremely we must not fail one another in prayer. The passage that we have today in Colossians is about the Apostle Paul's prayer and concern for the church in Colossae. Even though the Apostle Paul is considered a remarkable and outstanding servant of Christ, yet he is someone that we can and ought to emulate in the example. And so if prayer is something that is of importance for the Apostle Paul, that it ought to be for us. Allow me to point to you to Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. As you realize, I have no slides, okay? So no slides, huh? Verse 2. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always give thanks. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So my first point is why pray for one, for one another. Now we read carefully this passage, we have two reasons why we ought to pray for one another. The first is because of our relationship in Christ. And the second, it is because it is essential in our relationship with one another. All human relationships are based upon something. Blood relationship is our family and relatives of which we have no choice. And all other relationships, our spouse, friends, colleagues, and those that we share with common interests. Yet we know that the quality and the depth of these relationships are dependent upon the performance of those in the relationship. In family relationships, no matter what happens, you will still remain as father, mother, brother, sister, son, or daughter. But that does not automatically mean that there is an existing deep and meaningful relationship. For example, the man may be your father, but it doesn't mean he is your daddy. And no, I didn't pick it up from Yondu in Guardian of the Galaxy, Volume 2. I read it somewhere earlier in an article. But we know that there's truth in that. You have to work hard for it. It takes time, effort, sacrifice to build a relationship that is deep. And that the same goes for a relationship that is based on common interests. And we know that interests sometimes don't last as long. It comes and goes, and so does for the relationship. And soon we will find one. But what we have here in Colossians is a relationship that is unlike any other that we have ever had and will have. When the Apostle Paul addresses the Christians as saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, 
a very important preposition in Christ, he is saying that the relationship and the connection that you and I have is far deeper and closer than any human bonds, human experiences, and human covenants. Our relationship is founded upon the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done. Moreover, a major difference, another major difference is that we didn't choose this relationship. Do you know that we are all gathered here together? Not because you chose to become a Christian and you say, hey, you are a Christian too, come, let's come together. We have a common interest. No, we were brought together by God, our Heavenly Father. We are here not coincidentally. It was all part of God's plan. We were chosen to be part of God's family. We were adopted to be a part of His family. And everyone who is in Christ is a mother, is a father, is a brother, is a sister. And so our relationship in Christ as individuals and collectively as a church is demonstratedly beautifully demonstrated when we pray for one another in our walk with Him. It shows that we are in Christ, that this family is important to us. The second reason is because it is essential for our relationship with one another. It is essential because of our growth to become more Christ-like and to become one in Christ. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that everyone here has a unique and essential role in your process and development of growing, become more Christ-like? That's what Paul was referring to when he talked about how all of us is the body of Christ interconnected and the head is the Lord Jesus Christ. This means that you and I can't grow beyond a certain level unless you have a relationship with another brother or sister in Christ. In the book, Four Loves by C.S. Lewis, he describes the beauty of friendship. And I quote, True friendship is the least jealous of loves. Two friends delight to be joined by a third and three by a fourth. If only the newcomer is qualified to become a real friend. There, they can say, as the blessed souls in Dante, here comes one who will augment our love. For in this, to divide is not to take away. What C.S. Lewis is saying here is that when we have friendship, love that is founded upon Christ, when we come together as one, our love for each other is not divided. It's not taken away, but it's growing more in Christ. And Lewis experienced this when one of his close friends, Charles Williams, passed away. Lewis had a group of friends, I think at least three, if not four, and Charles Williams was one of them, and they were good friends that they met regularly together. And while Lewis was, was reflecting and mourning over the death of his very close friend, he realized something. He realized that even though Williams had passed away, a part of Lewis also died because there was something unique that Williams could draw out of Lewis that none of his other friends could. And now that Williams was no longer around, that part that Williams could uniquely draw him out was also gone. 
And that is the same that goes for all his other friends who experience this. This is the beauty of the friendship that we have. And it applies to all friendship that we have. But what is even more unique for us is because our friendship, our relationship with one another is founded upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Our relationship with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ will last for all eternity, for all glory, and will never fade away. So if we allow someone to be a friend, there is something that both you and that friend can help with in your walk with Christ. Some could be a source of support, others comfort and encouragement. Still others could give guidance, instruction, and maybe rebuke, and maybe a combination of both. The truth is that when Jesus gave us the church, this family here, every one of us here is to help each other to bear fruit and to grow in Him. Because if we are honest with ourselves, we would admit readily that we do not know ourselves as well as we imagine, and that there are areas in our life that we are blind to. It takes someone close to help us see things that we have either we have either can't see or are too afraid to see. And isn't this what Paul is doing? He hears and knows about the Christian in Colossae and sees what are their needs. And he helps them, not just by writing a letter to instruct them, but also praying for them. Now, before I met my wife, if you were to ask me, Kenneth, you think you are, hum- you are a proud person? I would probably say, no, shyly. Lah. I think I'm quite humble and maybe a bit meek like Jesus. But it was only when I met my wife and I married her that I realized, I was a very proud person and very horrible person. Now, before I continue, let me put a caveat. It's not because my wife brings the worst out of me. Eh? <laughs> Nervous laughter from the husbands. But <clears throat> rather, my wife exposes the worst of me. She reveals the things that I've hidden so well and kept so tightly and neatly before the public and showed that how blind I am to my side. And so when we ask someone to pray for us, it requires a number of basic things which I will mention briefly. Three, humility, trust, safety. You need to be humble enough to ask prayer support because you know you can't do it on your own. You can't. And you were never meant to be. You need to build trust between that person because you are going to share something deeply personal, something that is vulnerable that no one else knows about that person that's praying for you. And safety, something similar to trust, but the idea here is that you can be who you are before this person. You don't have to put a facade, you don't have to fake, you don't have to act. And you know that even if the person rebukes you, the person loves and cares for you, and you feel safe with that person. And how wonderful and encouraging to know that that person is praying for you unceasingly. And tonight, as a person comes before the Lord, your name is mentioned in his or her breath because you mean so much to that person and the person loves and cares for you. You are more blessed than you realize. As someone said, 
To have a good friend is one of the highest delights of life. To be a good friend of, is one of the most noblest and most difficult undertakings. So we can see how important it is for us to be praying for one another as it reflects our place in Christ and our need for one another to grow in the Lord. So how shall we pray for each other? And this leads us to our second point, praying with thanksgiving. In verse 3 of Colossians chapter 1, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. You cannot but conclude that Paul was deeply thankful for the Christians in Colossae. He always thanked God. And this is despite the fact that he may never have met them and only heard of them through Epaphras. Yet why was he able to give thanks so genuinely and sincerely? And there are two reasons. One, because he's focusing on God the Father. And second, he's focusing on the Christian's growth and fruit-bearing. Do you know that every time when we give thanks to God our Father because of one another, we are worshipping God? Every act of thanksgiving, regardless the subject matter, is an act of praise and worship to God, that you are grateful, that you are thankful for what He has done or He has given. So when we pray with thanksgiving for the sake of the brother and sister on our left and our right, we are focusing and praising God, and we are not preoccupied with ourselves. We are grateful, filled with joy because of the person that God has blessed. So when was the last time you thanked God for a brother or sister in Christ in your life? I have a close relationship with Pastor Adrin, but I'm not sure whether he feels the same way. Haha, <laughs> no, actually it's true, he feels the same way. <clears throat> and I thank God for this brother in my life. <clears throat> I am grateful to him because I have seen how God has used him to be a tremendous blessing and encouragement to me and my wife, especially since we first came to ARPC. And one of the ways that how this uh, friendship, uh, uh, how close we are, was that when I was in the U.S., Pastor Adrian came and visited us twice, and Anna came on the second time. It was so encouraging, so good for my wife and I to know that we are loved and remembered, even though we were so far away. And even though it was such a long distance and troublesome to travel to a, such a nice and beautiful place, it did not deter him. You know, come to think of it, I think, I think he came to the US and incidentally visiting me was more of an incidental reason. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 just kidding, okay? But I know, I know that anytime I need help, I need advice, I need to be encouraged, how late it might be, I can give him a call. And I know that because of this deep friendship that I have with him, I am not embarrassed nor ashamed to call him late at night. And I know he wouldn't mind. At least that's what he tells me. But the same is true. If he calls me and he needs help, I will drop everything to be there for him. This is what it means to be thankful for the one that God has blessed you with. I recognize how God has used him to instrumentally bless me, to help me in my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So how can I not but thank God and give thanks 
and not only to Pastor Adrian, but to the other pastors and all those that have come across my life. And every opportunity to thank a friend, a brother, a sister in Christ is another opportunity to worship and praise God. So why shouldn't we pray for one another with thanksgiving? And this goes to our second point, focusing on, our, on the Christian's growth and the fruits that they are bearing. Epaphras founded and established the church in Colossae, and so he reported back to Paul how well they were doing. They had faith in Christ Jesus. They expressed love for all the saints, and this was because of the hope that they have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because they were growing and bearing fruits in the Lord, Paul could give thanks because he saw how God was working mightily in their lives and how the gospel was transforming them. They were growing and they were increasing. And this is so good, so much to be thankful that the church in Colossae was growing and all for the glory of God. Even though when we are focusing and thinking about each other's, about the other person's growth and fruit-bearing, there is no jealousy, there is no resentment, no ill-feeling, but joy, just filled with complete joy in those that we are praying for and praising God for bringing them in our lives because we are a family. Recently, I discovered that Pastor Edmund wrote a great article on a current and hot issue, and it was accepted and published by the Gospel Coalition. Whoa. Okay, never mind, okay? It was very well written, very deeply theological, faithful to God's Word, and very helpful in thinking through these, is this, these current issues. Was I jealous or envious that this paper was published by the Gospel Coalition? No, I was not, okay? Honestly, it was not, yeah? I can tell you, but I was so deeply proud of him, so proud and happy for him. And I can tell people, you know, I know someone who wrote the Gospel Coalition, you know, hey. And I thank God that God has blessed him with his gifts and his talents to help him to strengthen and build the church. And so this is how we can give thanks when we pray for others, by focusing on God, our Heavenly Father, who has given the brothers and sisters that we have here, and to praise God for the great things He's working in their lives when they are growing and bearing fruit. So you can see, just like Paul, there is no focus on ourselves, not on our needs, but on others. And this leads us to what we ought to pray for others. To our last point. In verse 9, I read, And so from the day we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. In this very long sentence, Paul is actually only praying for one thing, that they may be filled with his knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. And the rest of the sentence are the four ways in which they can demonstrate how they are walking in the Lord, fully pleasing in him. Even though this was a prayer for the Christians in Colossae, it is still important and relevant for us. This is what we ought to be praying for one another and for ourselves today. Like today, the church in Colossae was not spared from difficulties and troubles. What we know at least is that they are facing false teaching about the supremacy of Christ 
and the adequacy of his salvation. And today, we are facing similar issues too. The core issues are about truth and love. It is about objective truth from God and love demonstrated by His Son versus truth that is relative and subjective to the very individual and love that is self-defined and self-determined that does not need Jesus. As such, we still need to pray for one another and ourselves because in this current climate, it will not be easier to shine as light and, and be as salt of the earth for Christ. We need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. If not, we will not be able to walk our calling worthily and fully pleasing God. Paul is teaching about the knowledge of his will. It's not about God's will for the individual, as in what is the will for you personally, but rather his salvific will, the salvation will of God in the past and in the present. Whatever we know about God's will and his salvation, we must admit that we do not know all, and thus we need to pray for this. And we know that this is not about this is about God because in verse 9, as he talks about the knowledge of his will, in verse 10, he again um, defines further that it is the knowledge of God. So we know that this is about God, how we need to be filled. And the one great thing that the Gospels has been teaching about the, about the knowledge of God is how he has come to save us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Moreover, Paul also talks about spiritual wisdom and understanding, which would inform us immediately that this knowledge of his will cannot be ascertained or achieved by our own effort or ability. It is spiritual in nature and has to be revealed and given to us. That is why it has to be asked and be given in the sphere of prayer. Even though the Word of God is readily available to us and we can access it, it does not mean just by reading it, we would understand. The Spirit of God has to reveal to us as we pray, as we struggle, as we wrestle over His Word, as we wait upon Him. It is similar to our human relationship. I have a Facebook account. Okay, don't look for me, okay? <laughs> okay, never mind. All right. But imagine, you know, you look for me and I accepted you as a friend and I'm uh, very fastidious and detailed in filling up all the um, profile uh, information on Facebook and every other day I'm updating what's happening in my life, showing you what I'm eating, what I'm doing, which I don't, okay? And, you know, as a new friend, you begin to be a bit more interested and you go into stalker mode and you start stalking me and read up, read up everything about myself. Now, even though you may have a whole bunch of information and knowledge about me, does it automatically mean that you and I have a relationship? That you and I know each other well? No. Rather, for us to have a relationship, for us to know each other deeply, it's not about information, it's about revelation. How when we spend time together as a friend, as we exchange stories in our conversation, in our thoughts, in our feelings, that is where you will glean and discover things about myself, and that is where I would reveal things about myself to you. It's very similar. Just because you are reading, it does not mean that you know the will of God. The will of God has to be given to you through a relationship in the realm of prayer. 
And so what would you, and how would you know that you've been given this knowledge of His will with all spiritual wisdom and, un, and spiritual understanding? Well, you will know how to walk worthily of the Lord and pleasing Him in these four ways, which I will mention briefly. In verse, in verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. In, now that you know the will of God, you know how to do every good work and every good work will produce fruits in your life. You will increase in the knowledge of God, verse 10, the second part, and increasing in the knowledge of God because as you continue to grow in your relationship with that person, you will also continue to grow things knowing more about the person. Now, come up the end of this year, I'll be married 10 years with my wife. Woohoo! To a double digit. I'm so excited. <coughs> and yet, there are still many things I'm still discovering about my wife. Ooh, wow, I didn't know that. Okay, wow. But my wife also was very disappointed. Until now, still don't know about me. Yeah, you know, I'll think it will be forever or so. But anyway, <coughs> the idea here is that how, as we continue in this relationship, we will grow in our knowledge of God, in His will, deeper and greater, the glorious and magnificent things that God has prepared and done for us. Not only that, we will be strengthened with all power in verse 11. Why? Why with all power? Because the pathway for us, the journey ahead of us, is not going to be easy. It will be filled with difficulties, sufferings, and maybe persecution. And so we need power because we need to endure. We need to be patient. This life that we have cannot be lived by our own strength and our abilities. It has to come from power on high. We never could live this life on our own. If we had, then we wouldn't need Jesus. But we recognize that we can't. That is why we need to ask for power. And by knowing the will of God, we will have this power. And in enduring and in patience, even though under suffering and possible persecution, because of this power, we can go through this with joy, a joy that the world cannot touch. And the last thing is worship giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And he continues on in verse 12. Your life will be filled with the worship of God unlike any other. And not only will you be regularly praying and giving thanks to God the Father, praying for others, you will also be able to walk worthily of the calling and that is why we must pray for each other. One thing that we can apply today, immediately, is that if you believe that God is speaking to you, that He is moving your heart, then one way in which you can apply this immediately in the context of our church is to consider participating, joining our church prayer fellowship, whereby we come together and we recognize that we need to pray to God for all the things that we have before. As I conclude, one thing I want to mention. Do you know that 2,000 years ago, someone prayed for you and he continues to intercede for you right at this moment? The one who came to live, to suffer cruelly and died on the cross in our place did so so that we can be reconciled with God so that God can be our Father 
and we can be a part of his family. And as he was facing his trial and on the night of his betrayal, he was thinking of us. How do I know? Allow me to read from John chapter 17, a very short part. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And this is the one. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And then in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, meaning the present disciples there, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Before you even existed on this earth, Christ was already praying for you. And now, even though he has ascended to the right hand of God, do you know he continues to intercede for you? In Romans chapter 8, verse 36, sorry, verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. So pray. Pray for yourselves, but pray for others because Jesus is interceding for you because we are a family and this pleases him. Let us pray. This morning, I want to do something different. Before I pray, I want to you to take the next minute to pray for someone that you can give thanks to and you believe needs your prayer right at this moment so that they may walk worthy of his or her calling, fully pleasing in the Lord. And the one minute starts now. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that you are our Father and that you have given us this family right here. Thank you for those that you have placed in our lives who have been such a tremendous blessing, that you have used us, used them to help us in our walk, in our trust, in our growth in Christ. Forgive us for not praying enough 
and unceasingly as how Paul did. But we ask that you will rekindle, reignite a desire to pray for them and for the church and for the names that have been lifted up this morning. Hear them and may all glory be to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.